Welcome to our podcast, All About the Car, brought to you by Sherl Tire and Service. I'm your host, Rob Hoffman, an auto service specialist with over 46 years of industry experience. On the ride with me today, our regular guest, Brian Call, a 42-year veteran in the automotive industry. Hello, Brian. Hey, Rob. Great to be on the ride. And Bill Sherl, a guy that's logged a lot of Wisconsin miles and always has a lot of great questions. Welcome back, Bill. Thanks, Rob. And maybe today I should say... Glad to be in the boat. There we go. Today we have a very special guest on the drive, Ray from M&J Marine in Cronenwetter, Wisconsin. Actually, we are on location at M&J Marine, so I suppose I should say we're your guest. M&J is located just off I-39 south of Wausau, and I've got to say, this is the most impressive marine store I've ever seen. There is so much to see, you could almost get lost in here. Thank you so much for hosting our podcast today, Ray. I'm glad your guys are here. I'm glad you contacted me and brought us on board for an interesting event. <laughs> it's yeah. very good to be here. Today, we're going to find out more about what it takes to own, transport, maintain, and pilot your own boat in Wisconsin. We grew up hearing the phrase, land of 10,000 lakes, when referring to our good neighbors to the west. But according to the DNR in Wisconsin, Fishley has 15,074 documented lakes. Which is interesting, of which only 40% have been named. As a matter of fact, we are just second in the United States to Alaska, who actually claimed 3 million lakes. Yeah, that blew me away as well. I guess the dairy farmers got the jump on all this to become the dairy state. Yes, that's our claim to fame. With spring-fed lakes like the Chain of Lakes in Wapaka to the deepest inland lake Wisconsin called Green Lake, musky fishing in the north woods in Vilas County, or enjoying all the amenities that meandering Wisconsin River and its backwaters have to offer. If you don't float a boat, you are missing out of one of the Wisconsin's top pastimes. Ray, with over 15,000 lakes in Wisconsin, I think you've chosen wisely <laughs> the <laughs> business that you're in. Tell us a little bit about the background of M&J Marine and how you got here today. Sure. It's a family business. I'm a third generation owner of M&J. And M&J didn't always be in, wasn't always in the marine business. It started out my grandfather. I'm going to go back to the 1920s. Wow. He started to be an accountant, basically, for M&J Auto Parts and Wrecking. Wow. And the two owners of the company, Max Sonatag and Jake Libman, There's were the, the original. Okay. That's how the M&J came to be. And my grandfather, being young and aggressive, and again, this is the 20s, things were different then. You were 20 years old, you could get into business and do things, and one of the partners wanted out, and he ended up buying out the M first, Max. And, of course, being young and things like that, he was interested in different things maybe they were. But for many, many years, it was auto parts, used car sales, a wrecking yard. A lot of people don't realize, like, in the 30s, especially during the war years, you couldn't go buy a new part for your car. They didn't sure. make them. Absolutely. Because uh, everything was going toward a war effort. My grandfather was involved with this wrecking yard that he owned, which is in Wausau where public service is. Okay. That used to be our wrecking yard. And that was from sometime in the 20s until late 50s, early 60s. Okay. When they closed that and just got out of that part of the business. But if you needed a part for a car during the war years, you went to a wrecking yard. If you right. busted a headlight, you went to the wrecking yard. You, you needed tires, <laughs> you went to the wrecking yard and found tires. Kind of a different aspect. And then my grandfather, as time went on, he got more interested in 
boating. He was a boater himself. He bought a cabin on a lake up in Rylander. And his brother, who owned a car dealership and boat dealership over in Durand, Wisconsin, started feeding him boats to sell here in Wausau. <laughs> and at that time, it was called Speedliner. It was a wood boat, inboard boat, and an outboard boat. And then in the late 40s, real late 40s, Alumacraft came to be. Oh, sure. uh, they, yeah. Again, a lot of these companies that make aluminum boats were derivatives of the war effort. They had to figure out what to do with all this aluminum, and they yeah. had skilled labor that could rivet and weld. They started making boats. I didn't realize the aluminum boats uh, were that early. Yeah, that's how it gave birth to an industry is after the war years, the riveted boats and welded boats came to be aluminum. Prior to that, you didn't have one. It, it didn't exist. It was just wood boats. And then fiberglass boats came in the 60s and 70s, and aluminum is still a staple. That's our best-selling boat today. m and has gone through a lot of changes over the last 106 years from what we're into, but our roots are all the same. You know, taking care of the customer, Absolutely. offering outstanding customer service, having the products that people want. I learned a lesson very young that was instilled in me by my dad and my uncle, who owned the business prior to me. They took it over from their father, who died unexpectedly very early. But you always have to be changing. Yes. Never fall in love with a product because eventually those products go away. No one's going to buy that product. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one of the things we mentioned in the intro was... 15,000 lakes in Wisconsin. We are surrounded by water. I don't think you can go you 10 go miles anywhere. in any direction <laughs> here without hitting water. Absolutely. It's become part of the culture in this area too. Boating became a big part of our business and has grown and we got out of the auto business. We, we were in the hardware business as well. We sold toys. I mean, actual physical toys at one point in time. Interesting. Um, downhill skis and cross-country skis, but there was a time and place for all that stuff. Right. We varied a lot. And like every business, over time you change. And we've now become basically just boats for well, the your last family's made some 20-some years. Pretty yeah. wise decisions over the generations yeah. here. And, and then now you're located right off the interstate, I-39, just right. south of Wausau, you can't miss it. Well, that's one of the reasons we wanted a, a location. We were squeezed for space in Wausau. We started looking for where could we build that would be, one, we want to be a little closer to water for testing purposes and for customer oh, convenience. Yeah. That's how we ended up here. We're 10 minutes away from Lake Dubay, and we're Perfect. about 15 minutes away from Lake Wausau. And sense. we have a river that goes right through, <laughs> literally Two miles that way, you hit the Wisconsin River right. to the west of us. We like the location, and it gave us the advantage of being able to expand, which we have. We've added on more storage space and things like that. The location we chose, it was high visibility, easier for customers, especially our out-of-town customers, to find us. I think we were talking about this before we started, but the reason for the location was to try to appeal to the people that come from the south that are driving up to their cabins in the north. And that is a big percentage of who comes here and has ownership of property in northern Wisconsin, in central Wisconsin, are people from the south. So as they pass by coming out of Chicago, Milwaukee, yep. wherever Madison, and going to the Northwoods, yep. that is a common thing for them to stop by here and maybe a last-minute uh, accessory or item or question or repair, possibly? Well, absolutely. Repairs are a big part of our business, especially this time of the year where we're winterizing and putting boats away in storage for people. Yeah, making it easier for the customer to find us was key. Having the visibility was the first step, was making sure that they could 
know where we are and make it easy for them. That's why we're here. You actually store on site. Your facility is big enough. Most of our storage is off site, still in buildings that we've had for 20 some years, but we do store here as well. Most of the stuff you see outside is either here for repair in process or new boats that are unfortunately this time of year we had a, <laughs> you don't have a lot of, they're covered yes a lot of boats come in the new right. stuff for the coming year because the manufacturers can't build everything at once they're going hey we gotta ship you boats in september and october november and december because we can't ship them all in april and may got it you talk about them being wrapped up tell us a little bit more about that it's really interesting i'm sure this is what you see every day oh, yeah. but for somebody like myself that really only boats in a kayak sure Tell us more about this wrap process and how that works and what the benefits are to that. Every new boat that we get in when it comes off the truck is trunk wrap, and it's a plastic wrap. And the reason they do that is to seal it off so things don't get inside of it, be it rain, snow, ice, salt, those type of things. All new boats come in trunk wrap to us unless we request not to have it, which I still want it protected even in transit because we don't know what what they're going to come across. The winter storage of them, we actually built a framework out of two by fours and strapping material to create a tenting aspect to it so that when snow and rain does hit that cover, it it peels off. Just like having a pitch on your roof, we don't want flat boats, we want something with a pitch on it so that stuff falls off. Shrink wrapping of a boat, it takes a little bit of time. The material is basically two by fours, strapping material, and plastic. And the rolls of plastic are approximately about 16 feet wide. We stretch it over and we actually use an open flame. It's called a heat gun that shoots out a flame from a propane tank. And you have to be skilled because you can't keep it one spot very long because it would burn through. And you actually heat the plastic and it shrinks and it creates the tautness. Okay. Shrinking the wrinkles out. Exactly. (laughs) It's a very, very effective way to store a boat, especially if you want to store it in your yard. Because like a canvas cover the problem with that is unless you're going to go out every day wipe the leaves off make sure there's no water puddled and when it snows get the snow load off because those covers aren't built for snow load and the pitch usually isn't as high it accumulates and then it'll collapse or tear that's the advantage of the shrink wrap it's not just shrink wrapping we also put a dehumidifier basically in it it's not electric powered but it's a kind of a carbon type filter if you will that helps with odor and it also absorbs moisture to that point your boat isn't getting wet inside quite a bit to this isn't there? so yeah it's a little <laughs> bit of a science but it does go pretty quickly we do a lot of pontoon boats that's what we primarily should that's a lot of rafts. you have a framing that's basically fit for that length of boat or is every single one individually built for the framing we individually build them because unfortunately there's probably two thousand different boat manufacturers sure, okay sure. so there's yeah. no consistency But one thing we do tell customers is, you know, because a lot of people do have a shrink wrap it and then they take it home, put it in their yard is save your framing, save the wood. We can restrap it, but save your wood so we can recycle that stuff. The plastic isn't recyclable as far as reusing it again, because once you cut it loose, basically to get it off, we can't reheat it because it's already been shrunk. Right. So it won't shrink anymore. 
I always have thought when you're in the airport and flying internationally or something, they have those big wrapping machines. I thought, hey, you know, maybe that's what happens with a boat, but obviously not. It's a little different. Yes, a little different. (laughs) But the shrink wrapping is not unique just to boating. We actually have customers that come to us like with equipment that they want shrunk wrapped because they're going to ship it on an open truck. We'll do those type of services as long as it isn't too large where we can't get over the top of it. Got it. We do shrink wrapping, not just of boats, but we do some of other things, if you will, machinery, things like that for certain customers. Now, you mentioned the new boats coming in shrink wrap. Shrink wrap, <laughs> yep. And then, of course, walking through your showroom here to see these beautiful brand new boats. Do you also get yourself involved in used boats? We do. It's become easier to sell boats on your own through social media like Facebook and things like that. The amount of used boats we get has gone down considerably. Okay, doing that themselves. Yeah, a lot of people are selling on their own, but do we? Yes. At certain times of the year, I do go and buy used boats and refurbish them usually over the winter months. One of our biggest sales months for used boats is February. And that's because we usually in December, January are refurbishing these boats that I've purchased because that's when we have time to work on them and then putting them out for sale in February. So in February, people are done with winter at that point or thinking ahead. Well, absolutely. And they're going shopping. <laughs> absolutely. You just think about here in Wisconsin, we enjoy the change of seasons. Right. We love December and we love January with the snow. But by the time we get to February, we're going, I want it to be spring. Right. I want 100%. nice weather. So yeah. if they can come in here and feel the heat of the showroom and see right. the new boats, and oh. we do put a number of used boats on display as well oh, nice. during that month in our warehouse that's heated. And that's probably why we sell quite a few in the month of February. It's actually our best sales month for used boats is February. Because most people understand when you buy used, that boat that comes up and that's what you're looking for, it may be the only boat you see. Exactly. You can't wait. If you want it, you need to get it. Yeah. We're on a new boat. You can say, okay, they got six in stock. I have a little bit of time. Yeah. So the used boat market is a little different and it all depends on people's needs. If we have what they're looking for, Now, are you helping them decide that between new and used, or is that something they're coming in with in their mind, or how does that process work? It varies. It depends a lot on budget, what they're looking to spend. If a new boat starts at thirty thousand for what you think your needs are, and you go, my budget's fifteen. Well, it's either no boat, yeah, or buy a used one. That is probably the biggest factor. And then some people are just used buyers. They're just like, I don't need to have new. I'm comfortable with used. And we're very meticulous about what we take in trade and resell to the public. Every boat has gone through, inspected, do the, everything that needs to be done on it so that they don't have a bad experience. That makes sense. And we talked earlier about stop for those people going up north and last minute items, possibly. I would make the assumption at this point that you have everything when it comes to boating, accessories, Fish finders, all that kind of thing. Is that what M&J is about as well? We are. In our our service department and parts department, we sell a lot of electronic devices. And that would be everything from fish finders, GPS units that now go from really $100 to five six thousand dollars that's technology yes and same thing with trolling motors and power anchors have become a real popular thing for a lot of fishermen so that they can anchor it's a pole that actually goes down into the lake bed and it works really slick a pole yeah a pole i think the deepest they'll go is like 15 feet but a lot of our lakes that where they fish are in that range it's actually like graphite fiberglass rod that actually goes down and penetrates into the bottom 
it's a very effective anchor. And we're selling mainly those oh on fishing boats, but we have been selling some on pontoons as well, where people go up to a sandbar and say, you know, instead of throwing an anchor out in the water with rope, that would be slick. I just push a button. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can just push a button for that a- that rope anchor too. I yeah. assume, right? So yeah, they do have those still uh, available with the electric anchors, where you can use the traditional cord. So is it just a pointed end on that pole? That yeah. Just okay. That's so, amazing. Uh, yeah, those have become more popular, and then of course boat bumpers and life jackets and water toys and trailer tires and then replacement propellers and stuff like that. A lot of things that people need we carry you do get into trailers of of course that has to go hand in hand with boats i would imagine otherwise everybody's boats are going to be sitting here at m and (laughs) j they've got to be transported that's a part of your deal too it is and unfortunately i don't think a week goes by that we don't have one dropped off by a wrecker that's got blown tires or the bearings have seized up and a lot of times we ask the questions did you check the tire pressure before you left or did you inspect the tire a lot of people just assume that it's okay yeah and especially this time of the year the spring and this time of year because most people that are getting their boat out of the lake right now let's say they have a lake home that trailer's been sitting outside for the last five to six months. It's the last thing they think about. Untouched. Right. Okay. And they just assume it's ready to go because I haven't used it. That's right. right. Well, the problem is, is that critters get in and chew on the wiring. The sun beats down on those tires and they get weather checked or the tire pressure drops. A lot of people don't understand if tire pressure goes down and you guys being tire guys understand Mm -hmm. this really well. It creates all sorts of problems. Oh, yeah. But on a boat trailer, it becomes really critical because, and I don't know what the formula is, but I think for every pound that the tire is down, it loses 100 pounds of carrying capacity. Pretty close. Yeah, absolutely. And if that's the case, and all of a sudden you're going down the highway with your boat on it now... Think how many times you're traveling down the interstate and you see the car, the boat trailer, boat alongside the road. You know, that's one of the things that we try to preach to people, especially during the new product orientation, is maintain your trailer. That's kind of the forgotten thing. They maintain their boat really well. They put gas in it. They check the oil. Yeah. They clean it. But they won't do a thing to the trailer. Those little tires do a lot of work. They yes. do, and they rotate a lot going on yeah. the freeway. Yeah. yeah, they do. How deep does M&J go? I mean, pun intended, of course, but docks and lifts and everything? Are you- well, we're transitioning out of the dock and lift ah. business right now, and it's mainly because almost everyone wants them installed. And we are at that point where we're selling so much that we would have to have our own installation crew. And prior to this, we did have outside sources that we could job out, and they did very, very well. In fact, they did too well, so now they're kind of independent. They want to sell the dock. They want to sell the lift. So what we've done is partnered with Lakeside Marine out of Monaco, which is one of the largest flow dealerships, and that's the brand that we carried for docks and lifts. So we display and we recommend but then we send them to Lakeside. And that's all they do is docks and lifts. And they wanted to expand not just in the Monaco area, in the Northwoods, they wanted to do down here as well. The partnership has worked really well. The new owner of Lakeside actually was our flow rep <laughs> up two years ago. We have a very good relationship. And when we do docks and lifts, we're happy to help you. And we still service the customers that we have sold in the past and help them with parts and service and those type of things. But we don't do in-outs of the lifts, but we do refer them to Lakeside. They have four or five different crews that are on staff. 
that can do those things. Right. For us, we just didn't want to get into, it's costly to get, to get a workboat, and sure. then you have to have yeah. about three to four people on that workboat. And for us, selling just new dogs, it's about a three or four month thing. It's spring and then right. fall. And we didn't want to get into in outs. Right. Just because every business has limited resources. Right. It's Absolutely. not just yeah. money, it's yeah. people and right. equipment. And the cost of the equipment is $150,000 to get a good workboat with forks on it, engine, and you have to put a crew on it. Well, we couldn't sell enough docks ourselves to warrant that cost. That's why we partnered with Lakeside. Plus, they have more equipment in stock. And again, they just do docks and lifts. That's their business. It's worked out really well. This was the first year for us. And our customers seem to be very happy. They can still call us if they were a previous Flow customer of ours and say, hey, I need a new dock section because a tree fell on it. We will get that for you. We're still able to do that for them. Of course, it's Turtle Tire and Service. We can't forget about the tow vehicle. That's our end of the boating experience. We've got to make sure we're talking about that vehicle that's towing that boat and trailer down the interstate. There's certain things that somebody would need to do, maybe a pre-flight inspection, so to say, just to make sure that vehicle, everything is good, that the hitch is not rusted through or rusted out, the wiring coming out of the back of the vehicle, going to the nice boat trailer that they got from M&J, chains, your mirrors, Tire pressures on the car, on the pickup, whatever that is. There is a lot going into this because that whole unit going down the highway, one little thing can make that whole weekend gone. That's always the case. I assume that some of those questions when someone says, oh, I want to buy this boat. You have a car that's going to be able to haul your boat. Well, exactly. And that comes up almost all the time. It's one of the, our salespeople are very professionally trained. And what's one of the first questions we ask is, you're looking at this size boat. Do you have a pickup truck or something that's rated appropriately to pull it? And of right. course, it's sometimes the look is like, I'm not sure what the rating on my car is. Well, right. we need to find that out. And so we know what kind of boat to, that you need. You may want a 25 foot Bennington with 400 horse on back on a trailer, but it's 6,000 pounds and your minivan is rated at <laughs> 3,000 pounds. <laughs> it's just not going to work. Right. We make sure that they understand that. Now, that's where we come into play. Sometimes people are like, well, do I really need to haul it? I live on Lake Dubay and we offer that service where we'll put it in, take it out, okay. store your trailer there. in the off season. Nice. We do those services. They wouldn't have to go out and buy a new SUV or a pickup truck just to pull the boat. When you're used to commuting every day in a car, a Honda, SUV, all of a sudden you're hooking up to a boat. Brian, driving's a little bit different. It's got to be weighted correctly. Ray's saying you've got to have the carrying capacity of that trailer or that vehicle to haul that trailer. And you can get in a lot of trouble really fast if you don't have it balanced out right and the proper equipment. And just your driving habits, too. I mean, just adjusting your speed possibly a little differently. You're not going to get out there and do that 78 and a 70 necessarily. You're pulling a trailer behind you. You're pulling something different. You're not going to be changing lanes maybe as much as you normally would. Stopping that piece of equipment. Absolutely. There's a lot more to it than just hooking up and going. Much less just backing that boat up into There's the There's another one. Yeah. <laughs> That's always fun to Dude, watch. Dude, hold, yeah. hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. And that's so, one of the things that we tell our customers that part of the orientation, especially when they're picking up their new boat, is don't go to the boat landing for the first time. If you've never backed something up, go find an empty parking lot right. and spend a half an hour, an hour, just backing up your boat so you understand how it's supposed to work. 
And we do give some tips before they leave. Driving forward is usually not That's the, the problem. Easy part. It's the backing up <laughs> because it's a little bit different, especially if you don't do it often. And then, you know, just talking about tow vehicles, making sure you have the right size mirrors so that you can see around your boat. And a lot of the newer pickup trucks, SUVs do have that ability to have larger mirrors, but some of the minivans and stuff have very small mirrors getting an extension put on. And then ride height. I think Brian mentioned the vehicle. So many times we see people come in and they don't understand that they might need a a hitch that's taller or shorter because we want that boat to ride level, not downhill or uphill level. And even more important with the dual axle trailer, because you're going to put the weight on two tires instead of all four tires. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that we see when we see tire wear problems on trailers and things like that will lack to see the tow vehicle. And nine times out of 10, the problem isn't the trailer, it's the tow vehicle because the angle is right. Wrong. The angle of These attack jacked up trucks and all of a sudden it's riding on the back two tires. Right. Yep, the exactly. Second axle. But with newer vehicles today, be it pickup trucks included, there's a lot of sag when you put a trailer weight on them. Yeah. And we can reduce the tongue weight to a degree but if we get too light, then it's going down the highway with a sway in the trailer, and which becomes dangerous. Very dangerous. So there's a happy medium there. And that's one of the things that, you know, checking on your vehicle, you might need airbag lift system to keep it level, a stabilizer. Those are all things that should be found out before you start towing. Yeah. <laughs> Ray, you and your team got this all figured out. There's no doubt. There's a lot of pieces to it. And- yeah. Send somebody off out of your location here, a good customer, and knowing that they've got the right advice and, and equipment. How many times have you driven down the interstate and saw seen a gas can land there, a flotation device, a cooler without a lid? Nope, there's a lid further on down. Going down the road, everybody's got stuff in their boat because it turns into a trailer on the way to the Northwoods. And if you don't secure it, out it goes. So there's some things to look at, too. It comes oh, back with too that. too much stuff in the trailer. Yeah. Or in the boat, overloading it. So now those tires can't handle all that extra weight. Yeah, that's a new problem. Go. Yep. But you got to secure those things when you throw If you're going to use the boat to haul that stuff, you got to make sure you secure it. Bungee cords, I'm assuming, or keep it in the back of your vehicle. I'm sure you hear stories all the time. <laughs> well, you replace those things. Oh, yeah. We do. It's getting harder sometimes just because if you have an older boat, let's say it's 10 years old and you don't secure a cushion like on your pontoon boat and it flies out, it may be very difficult to have a matching cushion. Oh, sure. Right. We have a lot of canvas shops we work with and they can get usually within 95% of the color, right? But sometimes you just can't because that right. material isn't available and things like that. That's one incentive. If you want your boat to stay looking nice, make sure you have things secured. And the other thing is, if you are going to store things in your boat, make sure that you're not overloading the capacity mm-hmm. of that trailer. We see this happen very often with people that go to Canada because they want to haul extra gas. Oh, they right. want to haul their tent. They want to haul a whole bunch of gear because they're going there for a week or two weeks. Maybe they had 500 pounds extra capacity the way it was set up with no gear in the boat. And all of a sudden, they put 1,000 pounds of gear in the boat. Their trailer tires just can't take it, especially on a long trip, rough road, whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, they have a blowout. Making sure that you understand that relationship is really important. The gravel roads up there, you have a blowout. Now you're out of spare tires and you have another blowout. That's not uncommon. No, especially if you're overloaded. It's just yeah. a matter of when it's going to happen, <laughs> not if. Yeah. So. Brian, that's a bad day. <laughs> yeah. That is a bad day. That's a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
As with every All About the Car podcast, we always break away halfway through and visit an interesting Wisconsin destination. And today we're heading all the way up to the top west corner of Wisconsin to the Apostle Islands. And just kind of fitting because we're talking about a lot of water. I think 21 islands in that area. Obviously, boats are involved. And here we are with the expert Ray at M&J Marine. Let's hop in and head north to the Apostle Islands. In my research, and yes, I'm sad to say I had to research it because I have not been there, but I'm sure all three of you probably have. (laughs) There's a lot up there that can be done and very unique as well. What I did learn, these islands, none of these islands are available for automobile traffic. You have to hop in a boat somehow to get out to these islands. Kayaks, whatever the case may be, canoes. I would assume sailboats. Sailboats. There we go. Tell us a little bit more about your experiences at the Apostle Islands. Mine was always by sailboat was the majority of it was sailing around the Apostle Islands. And on a friend, they had a boat up there and went up for the weekend. And it was just amazing. The caves and under that you can canoe into in the water is really pretty amazing. And isn't this like a federal reserve area or something? I believe it is. It's one of the few in the nation. The park is sort of all water. Kayaking in those caves is just absolutely fantastic. You get the sunlight that actually reflects through the water because it's so clear to light up the cave. And you're 100, 150 feet back in some of these. Oh, my gosh. So this is Lake Superior. I'm sorry. I should have been. Lake (laughs) Superior. And this is up by the Ashland Bayfield area. If you're trying to picture this on a map. As we know, Lake Superior is really clear and cold. Yeah, I did swim in it one summer. Uh, I've been in there too. We had wetsuits on when we were kayaking. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And there is an opportunity for a ferry up there too. I believe the Madeline Island Ferry that makes trips out to Madeline. So again, by boat, that's the only way you're going to get there. There's a lot of things you can research and plan ahead. But you also have to talk about that in the winter because then they have the possibly the ice caves going on, which I have visited in the winter. And then all of those caves and the ice coming down, it just becomes an amazing sheet of icicles and ice formations off the rocks, as well as then you have the ice highway which I believe is one of the few ice highways in the continent. Does that go all the way across? To Madeline Island. Okay. So you can go out to Madeline Island on the ice highway. It's one of the, I think, in the continental United States, I think it's the only ice highway that exists. Certain times of the year, there are other ways of getting there other than boat. Yeah. (laughs) Have you been there, Ray? I haven't, Oh, my gosh. And you're a boater. I spend so much of my time on the inland (laughs) lakes (laughs) that I really don't go on the Great Lakes. I've been on Lake Michigan. I have visited Lake Superior. Every time that we wanted to do a trip out to the Apostle Islands, it's been so rough that it's like, eh, I don't think I want to go out there. Yeah, that is the thing. There is rough. It is big water. Yeah. Our first time out there, we were camping on one of the islands and walking along the beach and it's we all looked at each other and the sand is making noise and it's like what the heck is going on after we got back we researched it and said i actually called the singing sands the shape of the the sand is such that when it moves it makes noise it was fascinating that's amazing interesting Yeah. yeah Wow, I've heard of Singing Sands. I didn't know it was there. It's there. It's on the Apostle Islands. That's one good reason to go up. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to exactly. hear the sand sing. <laughs> the sand sing. <laughs> I wanted to camp on the beach that night, which you're not supposed to. 
there's designated campsites and the coast guard came by and said come on move your tent yeah you were set up already i was already set up ready to go All right, well, let's get back to Cronin Wetter, Wisconsin at M&J Marine, and let's dig in a little deeper in this thing we call boating. Ray, what type of boats are you involved with? Just about anything that floats? Well, no, we're a little bit more limited as far as scope, but what we carry are our aluminum fishing type boats are a major part of our business. We carry the Lund brand and the Alumacraft brand, and then we also carry Bennington pontoon boats, and we carry Yamaha jet boats, which is more of a, a runabout, and then we carry the Yamaha Wave Runner, which is a personal watercraft. Okay. So is that a new name for a jet ski? Well, jet ski is like the or, name Band-Aid. You know, okay. it has a very generic meaning, okay. but Sea-Doo makes their models, which are called Sea-Doo's. Kawasaki was the one that really created the word jet ski for their brand. Okay. And that kind of stuck because they were kind of the first ones into right. it. A lot of people do refer to jet skis as, be it a Sea-Doo, a Wave Runner, a Kawasaki, or a Honda, or whatever brand it might be. The Yamaha calls theirs Wave Runners, and that's the brand we carry. Got it. Do you get into non-motorized watercraft at all? We don't. Everything we sell has got a motor. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Power. <laughs> that's okay. That's all right. How big do you go? What's your biggest Ooh. one? Our biggest boat is probably in a pontoon boat, which is like 28 feet. Okay, so a good-sized boat. Yeah, you know, eight and a half feet wide by 28 feet long. Most of our sales in pontoon boats are the best-selling size is usually a 22-foot with a 115. We are selling more tritunes now, which means they have the three tubes on it, and those are usually powered by 200 to 400 horsepower engines. Oh, goodness. Yeah. It's it's you want to go fast. Yeah, that's right. You can. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons pontoons, especially tritunes, have be- really have gained a lot of popularity in the last probably five to seven years is really taken off. Unfortunately, a lot of our boater customers are older. Our sweet spot is usually 40 to 80-year-olds. Oh, okay. They usually own lake property. And as we get older, we want something that's easier. Or And a pontoon makes a lot of sense because you don't have to step down into it. So it's easier to get on and off the boat. And we're seeing more people say they used to have a ski boat, they had a pontoon, or they had a fishing boat. And they're going, can we buy one boat <laughs> So we have only one boat to maintain that can do all of that. And that's where the tritune pontoons have really shined. Because if you live on the water, a pontoon tritune, one, you have more people capacity than a regular boat. They're easy to use. You can fish from them. You can water ski with them. You do everything. Stable. Yeah, and very, very stable. I have Bennington 25-footer with a 400 horse on. Not that I need to go that fast. (laughs) But that's one of my boats, and it'll do 50-plus miles an hour with a 400. Oh, my. It's flying on the water. (laughs) I mean, I'm a water skier. I can slalom ski behind it. I could barefoot behind it. I can pull my kids on a tube, my grandkids. So it's a very versatile boat. If you want one boat that kind of does it all, that's where the tritunes have come into play. Speaking of skiing and talking about accessories a little bit, did you get involved with that as well? We talked about already the fish finders, the depth. All that personal flotation, you pretty much have everything one-stop shop. We do. We focus more on like life jackets and tubes 
We do a lot of the cleaning products, okay. those type of thing, maintenance products for your boat, be it oil, filters, things like that, propellers, which are a big thing. We encourage people you know, always to those. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're on the Wisconsin River area where there's stumps and rocks that all of a sudden just show up. You don't want to ruin a weekend by not having an extra propeller. Would, would you say that's one of your most common maintenance issues? Or uh, It's collision, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. collision <laughs> with something <laughs> on the bottom. Okay, on the bottom. collision above water. No, not above okay. water. In fact, that happens very infrequently, surprisingly, right. but the underwater obstacle where you, you go somewhere where you think you can go in to find out, oh, there's a rock there or right. there's a stump there. You recommend most people carry a, a spare prop. Absolutely. Because okay. let's say it's Sunday afternoon, you're boating, having a great time, and all of a sudden you go somewhere where you probably didn't know there was a stump or yeah. a rock and you hit it. You don't have to end your weekend. You can easily change the propeller. It's a pretty simple thing to do. Is there such thing as repairing a propeller? There was. And what we have found now, like just the cost of repairing a propeller versus buying a new one has gotten very, very close. On some of the stainless steel propellers where the cost is a little bit higher, even that sometimes you got to weigh, do I want to invest that money in an old propeller versus buying a new one? Maybe I keep the old one. Maybe it's usable in an emergency situation. That's your spare tire. That's my spare. (laughs) (laughs) What is the value for a stainless steel? Well, it varies. Like if you're looking at a 400 horsepower outboard, that's $2,500 for a propeller. Oh my gosh. If you're looking at a 115 horsepower, it's probably in the $700 range. Why would I buy stainless steel over... A general one. Aluminum? Yeah. Stainless steel is stronger. If you do hit, let's say, the sand or pebbles, things like that. It doesn't chip along. It's more durable that way. And it generally gives you a little bit more efficiency or push out of your motor. Less slippage, if you will. Because a a propeller, there's a lot of things that go into what's the right size prop is and things like that. And what the water conditions, what the load is, things like that. But the advantage of stainless is generally it flexes less when you apply power to it. So it grips more water, which creates more thrust. The advantage of aluminum is that it's a lot less expensive. Generally, aluminum propeller is a couple hundred bucks versus, you know, 700 bucks. It provides good performance overall. If you do hit something solid, let's say a rock, less costly to replace. Right. We talked earlier about uh, wrapping up your boat for winter slumber, which I just think that's really amazing because I love the way they look when you see them wrapped. Mm -hmm. But for those people bringing them out in the spring, what's the process? What is the spring, I would assume, what month of the year do people typically get their boats out and think, okay, it's time to get ready, pull it out of the backyard, the garage. What is the process on getting that ready? What should they be checking? Sure. And here in Wisconsin, it's always varied. When is the ice going out? And here in north central Wisconsin, like Lake Dubay and some of the waterways around here, generally by mid-April, they're open. That's kind of the time frame. As you go north, it could be yeah. to late May, depending on how far north we go till the ice goes out. But what we see generally is April. April is kind of the month that a lot of people start pulling boats out and start using them on the waterways. Fishermen especially are usually the first ones out because they want to get in that open water. They want that first fish. Yeah. The process is pretty simple. When we professionally winterize your boat, we're going to disconnect usually the negative lead on your battery 
so there's no draw over the winter. That does not negate the need to charge your battery, but it does negate the battery shouldn't be fully discharged. You want to charge your battery, make sure it's up to 100%. And a lot of people don't understand with battery chargers, just because you put it on for an hour doesn't mean it's fully charged. Because right. <laughs> most batteries are in the marine industry are 100 amp batteries. Well, if you have a 2 amp charger on it, that means if it's dead, that's 50 hours right. that the charger has to stay on there to get the full charge. A lot of people don't understand that, but that you got to look at what the amperage right. of your battery is, what the amperage of your charger is so that you get it to full. Making sure that you do just a walk around inspection, especially of the engine, make sure there's no fluids that you see that dropped over the winter months, things like that, that could indicate a seal that has gone out, things like that. Normally, if you have it winterized by us, we've addressed those issues, putting a new seal on the drains, things like that. But it's a good just walk through just to make sure. Checking for rodent damage. That's a big one, too. So if you store it in a barn up north in your garage and you've been gone all winter, you definitely want to take a look. The wires going to the battery. Is there any evidence of mice being in your boat or squirrels or something like that? And making sure that you put fresh gas in your gas tank. Top it off with fresh fuel. Do you recommend storing it with an empty tank or with some gas in it? It's best to have some fuel left in the tank, especially in most boats, modern boats, and boats built in within the last 20 years generally have plastic tanks. If you have a metal tank, it's more important to keep it full because right. metal condensates. If it's half full, that leaves more yeah. area for water. And making sure that your fuel is treated before you put it away with an additive to make it last. But topping off your fuel with fresh fuel, walk around inspection, charging your battery, checking your trailer. Again, it's been sitting for Mm -hmm. five, six months, making sure, one, do the lights work? Two, are the tires filled to the proper inflation level? Those are things that you have to look at. Even though you didn't use it, it's been sitting flat. And as you guys know, being in the tire business... If you sit flat on a concrete or hard surface, you'll get a flat spot on the tire. And rubber cracks, too. (laughs) And it will maybe thump a few times. So when you take that trailer out and start going with the trailer, go slow. Don't go up to highway speeds immediately until that thump is gone. Let it warm up a little bit. Let it warm up a little bit. But keep tire pressure. pressure. (laughs) You can't say that enough. That's our language right there. (laughs) A lot of the boat trailers have buddy bearings on them. Where you just shoot some grease in and everybody thinks it's good to go. Is it good to go? Normally, we recommend every two to three years, you should have the bearing buddy taken off. Take your bearings out. Repack new seals. Even if you use your boat infrequently. Make sure there's no water that's seeped yeah. in. Seeped in or that the grease hasn't now, especially Settled. people. And we see more problems probably with people that use their boat trailers infrequently. Yeah, twice a year. <laughs> than we see with people that are using them every week. And because the grease on the bearings all, if you let it sit for six months, the top Eventually, of the bearing, yeah. just think of you know how the sun is or mm-hmm. all that stuff that was on top floats down because of gravity. And all of a sudden, you have a dry spot on a bearing. It'll start rusting. Exactly. Trailers with brakes. We tell people, and a lot of your bigger boats, tandem axle trailers, primarily have brakes on at least one of the axles, is that making sure that you inspect those, making sure that the fluid is up in the brake system on the trailer, making sure that you've had maintenance done on them every couple of years. Again, people that use them infrequently, you back it in the water. You pull it out and you put it in a garage. Now it just sits there and rusts. 
Yeah. Especially with the electric brakes. Yeah. In the boat business, most of our brake systems are still hydraulic just because of the ease along. Vehicles still don't have an actuator built in for the electric brake. Still, a lot of the brake systems are hydraulic, which work very well, but you, there is a maintenance factor to them. And disc brakes or a drum, it doesn't really matter. They both can corrode. And don't be alarmed if you hear when you start pulling your boat out, especially out of the garage for the first time, a little of a grinding sound because it's been sitting. There might be a few rust spots. doesn't mean it's bad. It should go away within a mile or two. If it doesn't, you need to stop and get those serviced. That makes a lot of sense. As we're wrapping up this podcast, I've got to ask a couple questions to Ray. What type of boat do you own? I own many boats. Okay. Actually. Yeah, I'm glad you're it saying is, that. It is, it is. Yeah. So I live on Lake Dubay, and I'm fortunate I have a ski boat. I have a Centurion ski boat, which is a brand that we used to sell that I absolutely love. I'm a water skier, and I love that. I have two wave runners. They get a lot of use. I also have two Walt Disney World, they're called Mickey boats. They're very small 10-footers with 20-horsepower Mercury outboards on the back. Disney World doesn't do them anymore because of accident they had with alligators, I think, in their water a few years back. (laughs) So they stopped doing that. A lot of these boats came out on the market, and I bought a couple of them three years before to take my grandkids out in. and. I think I enjoy them and my wife probably more than anybody, but they're fun. They're just fun. And then I have a Bennington pontoon with a 400 horse on it, so I can go fast if I need to. Then I also have a couple of Hobie kayaks that was a brand that we used to sell years ago. And during the pandemic, they wanted dealers that sold just kayaks. That was going to work for me. Right. So, no, you're not going to make that change. Fantastic product, works well. And I get where they were coming from. They had very limited production and they wanted to really say, hey, we got to give these things to so they can survive. We did step away from the kayak business. Those are my watercraft, if you will. And then I have, like some people collect antique cars. I collect antique boats. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yes. I have a few of those as well sitting in our warehouse. But Nice. So it's Chris just, crap out there. No, I have a couple old Malibus. These are fiberglass. Like one's a 1987 Malibu. It's dear to my heart because it was like the first ski boat I owned. Cool. Right? cool. Yeah. I have one of those. And then I have another Malibu, a 2001 that I let my family members use my sisters and stuff if they want to go to a different lake or something like that they that's what they get to use and then i have some really old antique boats that i don't use i have an old evernude boat that evernude made back in the 60s so i have one of those and so yeah no wood boats wood boats are just too much work i was gonna say (laughs) staying in the fiberglass world definitely resolves a lot of maintenance issues yeah wood boats are really fun to see in but you have to have either a very deep pocketbook to own one or be very good with your hands because they require maintenance all the time (laughs) so when it comes to boats there's no doubt you're the real deal you know we always say we're car guys you're a boat guy (laughs) i am i also have a lund fishing boat i don't use it very much i actually keep it on the trailer here i've probably borrowed it out more than i've used it (laughs) but i do have one of those as well yeah we try to there's only so many hours in a weekend and i'm like i said very active in the water sports yet even though i'm 62 my kids and their grandchildren are starting to get into it a little bit too. We find that, okay, do we want to go fishing today? 
we can fish off the dock. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to go skiing. We're going to pull the tubes. We're going to go kneeboarding, whatever it might be. It's safe to say that family outings happen at your place? They do. Uh, they do. We get lots of visitors during the summer, which is fantastic. And Are you looking to adopt at all? Uh, no. Because <laughs> right now, I think there's times we have like 16 people at our house, you know, over right. a holiday weekend. It's wonderful from a year old to... 87 years old. Wow. In those gatherings and just being active out on the water and using the boats, what is one thing from a safety perspective that you could recommend to people to just be cognizant of that you've seen happen over and over and over over the years? And it's a great question. And it's a really basic one. Have a life jacket that fits everybody. And yeah. for the, especially the kids, I grew up going to a lake in Northern Wisconsin, Rylander, if we were going to go on the dock, if we were going to go in a boat, we had to put a life jacket on. Even the dock. Yeah. Unless there was a parent right there. Right. You know, if we were going to go swimming or something in the lake, that was one thing in the shallows. But I've taken that with my kids growing up on the water. They always had life jackets on. And it's kind of funny, even though my daughters are married and they're in the mid-30s, a lot of times I see them, if they step onto the dock, they're putting a life jacket on. <laughs> so yeah, nice. so well, it's kind yeah. of a habit. With the little ones, we do a lot of, they know if they go in the boat, they're putting a life jacket on it. Because all it takes is one odd thing to happen. Absolutely. You know, why take the chance? Why take the chance? Yeah. And it's one of the things that my grandchildren are now from. We just had one here three weeks ago. He hasn't been on the boat yet, but he will be, I hope, yet right. this year. <laughs> and then in our five-year-old, he really loves being in the water and just getting him used to jumping off the boat out into deep water off a platform on the boat mm -hmm. or on the tube and having that safety of the life jacket on him where he has confidence in it. Uh -huh. And us as parents, of course, are like, this is really good. He likes wearing his life jacket. Oh, yeah. Wear a life jacket. Like I said, if you have little kids, especially put a life jacket on. They also, pets, you know I mean? Right. That's something, you know, we have a little dog and he does very well. Can he swim? Sure. Does he like to? Not really, but he'll right. wade in the water. But if we're going to take him out on the wave runner, for example, right. we put a life jacket on him. You know, Do they make those? They make them oh, for yeah. your dogs. Oh, interesting. And because again, all it takes is one bad sure. bump. Something happens and that pet's in the water, right. it can become a very serious situation. Yeah. And just making sure that you stay inside the rails of a boat, be it the gunnels, the side rails, don't be hanging over the edge while the boat's under your power. Just common sense things that need to kind of be reminded to, to people because I think we've all been yeah. to the boat landing or at a lake and I'll see people sitting on the front of a pontoon boat with their legs dangling while the motor's going forward. And it's like, I know that's really sounds appealing to have your feet in the water, but all it takes is one bump. You fall underneath, right. it could be catastrophic. Absolutely. So, or that log that you don't see. Exactly. <laughs> Just use some common sense. Have life jackets. It is the law. You need to have a wearable life jacket on board for every person on that boat of the appropriate size. If you have an infant on, you have to have an infant life jacket. doesn't necessarily have to be on them, but it has to be in your boat. Get your kids used to wearing life jackets early and then it becomes habit for them. Just like most of us get in to a car, first thing we do is what? We put our safety belt on. Absolutely. Yeah. Just habits we create. Just habits you have to create. Great Perfect. advice. Great reminders. Yes. Yep. Well, thank you, Ray, for hosting this episode of All About the Car. We hope we've helped you, our listeners, become better prepared for the boating and towing season ahead. 
We hope to have you right along next time on All About the Car. To listen to previous episodes, find additional resources, or to simply send us a message, head to allaboutthecarpodcast.com. We'll see you next time. 